All right, we're off and running. Chapter 33 of, of uh, Jeremiah, and then we're going to go real quickly to James chapter 4. Um, <clears throat> Chapter 33. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the second time while he was still confined in the court of the guard. Now last week we saw where Zedekiah uh, put, put him in prison in the court because he was preaching <laughs> that, that impending doom was coming to Jerusalem. So he says, the word of the Lord came to him the second time while he was still confined in the court of the guard, saying, uh, Thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it, established it, the Lord is his name. Verse 3, Call to me, and I will answer you, and I will tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. This is another one of those scriptures in Jeremiah that, that we hear. Jeremiah 33, 3. Call unto me, I will answer you and tell you great and mighty things that you do not know. That was written to Jeremiah. It is to him. It is for us. We can we can take make application to it. But there's one that's a little bit more to us. And let's go to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. Okay, we... All right, James chapter 4, verse 1. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source of your pleasure that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that your friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the scripture. The script, the spirit, 
which he has made to dwell in us. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Well, when when um, God was talking to Jeremiah, he says, you know, call unto me, and I will show you great and mighty things which you don't know. James, the Lord's brother that wrote this book, he says, you don't have because you haven't asked. And you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. We'll pause now for station identification. <laughs> we don't have because we hadn't asked. That's why we pray. That's why we pray for one another. That's why we lift up one another to encourage them. And when we ask with wrong motives, we don't get it. Because God says, your motives are wrong. Your motives are wrong. He also says that he gives grace. Verse 7, submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. In another life, I, I taught a group of young men. And at that time, I was in the jewelry business. And I took a blank coin and engraved on it, James 4, 7. On the other side of it, I engraved, hook them up. And I gave it to him and I said, put it in your pocket, look at it every time you pull your change out of your pocket knife or whatever you got in that pocket. Resist the devil. Run from him. As a young man, more times than not, that's good advice. You can't stand there toe-to-toe -to -toe with him. You need to run from him. You need to run from him. So, Jeremiah, we'll go back to chapter 33. Jeremiah's the Lord told Jeremiah, he says, I'm going to tell you anything you want to know. And he went on to say what he was going to say. Um, we've said it many, many times before that when you interpret Scripture, the key thing you need to remember is what? Context, context, context. And we kind of taken a... a page out of the realtor's book where it's location, location, location.
But when you come to scripture, it's context, context, context. And so many times, you know, we see these scriptures on the wall or we, we hear people say them and, and yeah, we can apply it to where we are. Um, but a better in representation of this scripture is we don't have because we hadn't asked. Okay, verse 4. For thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the house of this city, concerning the houses of the king of Judah, which are broken down to make a defense against the siege ramps and against the sword. While they are coming to fight with the Chaldeans and to fill them with the corpses of men whom I have slain, my anger and my wrath, I have hidden my face from this city because of all their wickedness. The sovereignty of God. The older I get, the more I understand that God is in control of everything. <coughs> everything. Daniel said uh, in two different places, he says, I put kings in authority and I can take it away from them. And you remember the story about Nebuchadnezzar. He was out on top of his palace and was walking around and he said, look what I have done. Look what, where, where I've completed all this stuff. And God told him, today you'll be in the field eating grass like a cow. And he did, and he was for a length of time until he came back to his senses and says, you know, I'm wrong. And God restored him. God restored him. We have instances in Acts where, where the king and all his pomp and circumstances was uh, in the Colosseum there and he was uh, clothed in all kind of garments and he was real proud and the, and the crowd started talking about he was king and he was Lord and he was the Savior, Scripture says, no more. Scripture says he was eaten up with worms. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Now bring that down today. Sometimes we wonder, <laughs> is the Lord still in control? I promise you he is. I promise you he is. When we went through Isaiah, one of the themes of Isaiah was, I am God and there is no other. And if people get too big for their britches, the Lord can take them down. So in this particular case here, as we're looking, look at the times in the next several verses where God says, I or my, 
you know, where he's talking about God allowed Nebuchadnezzar to come to Jerusalem and to whip them, to kill them, to remove them because of their disobedience through the years, through the years. Go back to verse 5. And while they are coming to fight with the Chaldeans, to fill them with the corpses of men whom I have slain, in my anger and in my wrath, I have hidden my face from the city because of their wickedness. Behold, I will bring it to health and healing, and I will heal them, and I will reveal them the abundance of peace and truth. He says, I'm going to destroy them, but I'm going to bring them back. Verse 7, I will destroy the fortunes of Judah and the fortunes of Israel and rebuild them as they were at first. I will cleanse them from all their iniquities by which they have sinned against me and I will pardon all their iniquities by which they have sinned against me and by which they have transgressed against me. It will be to me a name of joy and praise and glory before all the nations of the earth <clears throat> which will hear of all the good that I will do for them that they will fear and tremble because of the good and all the peace that I make for it. It took a long time for Jeremiah to get to, to uh, chapter 29 when he says, I'm going to take you away from this place. You're going to go to Babylon for 70 years. You be a good citizen. You build houses, you plant gardens, you have children, and you be you you just prosper there. But I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to bring you back to this very place. And we've talked about Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra went back and rebuilt the temple. Nehemiah went back and rebuilt the wall in 52 days that was destroyed because <laughs> the people had a mind to work. So he's just restating the same thing that he said for chapters as we have gone through here. He says, I am in control. This is God Almighty. I'm in control, and this is what's going to happen. If we ever get that through our thick heads, that God is in control, and we are not, We don't worship idols. We don't, we don't have a corner of our house where we've got a statue that we have idols. That was the problem in, in this day. And they put their idols in the temple of all places. But we have an idol. It's me. It's me. It's me. The humanistic, the me movement, is contrary to what the biblical worldview is. Amen. Very contrary to what it is. It's all about what we want to do. 
And there's a difference. There's a total difference between what the Christian worldview is and what the, what the humanistic worldview is. The problem is we try to bring them together. And that's the, the big problem right there. We kind of mix with the world. We kind of mix with the world. Okay, we'll say more about that as time goes by. Verse 10. Thus says the Lord again, there will be heard in this place of which you say, it is a waste without man and without beast, that is, the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem. They are desolate without man and without inhabitant and without beast. The voice of joy and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, the voice of the bride, the voice of those who say, Give thanks to the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. And of those who bring a thank offering into the house of the Lord, for I will restore the fortunes of this land as they were at first, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, There will again be in this place which is waste, without a man or a beast, <laughs> that is, its cities, habitation of shepherds who rest their flocks. In the city of the hill country, in the cities of the lowland, in the cities of the Negev, in the land of Benjamin, in the virons of Jerusalem, and in the cities of, Ju of, of Judea, the flocks will again pass under the hands of one of, of who numbers them, the shepherd, says the Lord. I'm bringing it to nothing, but I'm going to bring it back to what it once was. The theme that we've heard all, all through Isaiah to this point. Now, Isaiah 33, excuse me, Jeremiah 33, 3, we understand. Jeremiah 14 through 18 is where He's talking about future. Let's look at this. Verse 14. If your Bible's like mine, it says the Davidic kingdom. He promised to David that he would do what? He would have people on the throne from him. So in verse 14, behold, the days are coming. They're still coming. To put this in a little context for us right now, he's talking about, in this particular case, in the millennium. I've told you before that when I was a younger man, I was all hung up on, on <clears throat> the rapture of the church and, and, and tribulation and everything else. And all of a sudden it dawned on me that when we're talking about the tribulation, we're talking about what the devil's going to do. And that's the wrong way to put it. So I, in times, I'm not going to be here. <laughs> the Lord's sovereign, he's going to take care of it. So I'm going to leave the end times to the Lord. But as we understand it, there'll be a thousand years where God is going to deal with these people. Their chosen people. 
We went back a couple of Sundays ago. We went back to chapter 19 of Exodus when he says, I'll do, I want these people to be peculiar unto me, my own people for my own possession because all the earth is mine. And it says, we want to be of that number. And he says, okay, you're my people from that, this point on. And he, they are, they were, they are, and they will be. And he's going to have to deal with them. And a lot of it's going to happen in the, uh, in the uh, um, millennium. So let's look at verse 14 through verse 18. <clears throat> Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. When I will fulfill the good word which I have spoken concerning the house of Israel and the house of Judah, the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. In those days, at that time, I will call the righteous branch of David to spring forth, and he shall execute justice and righteousness on the earth. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell in safety. And this is the name by which uh, she will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a, lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of, of Israel. <clears throat> and the Le Leviticus priests shall never lack a man before me to burn offerings, to burn grain offerings, and to pre prepare sacrifices continually. David shall never like a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. We've often talked about the fact that we don't think like our Jewish brothers think and we don't think alike they did when Scripture was written. <clears throat> when we say, you know, when we read that verse, you know, um, David shall never like a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel and we go back to to what Matthew wrote in the lineage of Jesus and what Luke wrote in the lineage of Jesus. <clears throat> and we, we realize that Jesus is from the root of David. <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> we have it here, but, but sometimes we think, well, <laughs> is Israel got somebody from the root of David now, you know, well, number one, they're not king. Uh, but let me read you what this commentary says, which is um, probably I've worried about, I've wondered about it. I hadn't worried about it, but I wondered about it. God vowed David will never have failed to have a man to sit on his throne. Some have felt that this was incorrect because the throne ceased to be in 1586 when Jerusalem uh, was, was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. However, God did not promise an unbroken monarchy, but, a, but excuse me, he did not promise an unbroken monarchy, but an unbroken of the descendants of David who will be qualified to sit on the throne and it was reestablished. 
Velta and I in our Bible readings now are in the middle of Ezekiel. I have problems. I hope Art doesn't ever want to teach Ezekiel. <laughs> but, but right now we're talking, Ezekiel is going out and he's, he's, he's measuring off the temple and he's telling how to build it and so forth and so on. And he's talking about sacrifices. And Velton and I looked at one another and he says, well, if this is in the millennium, and Jesus is going to be there. Why are we having sacrifices? If you can answer that question to me, just come up and tell me about it. But scripture says right here, he says, we'll never like a, uh, David to sit on the throne. And verse 18, and the Le Levitical priest will never like a man before me to offer burnt offerings. I don't know how all that's going to work out. Uh, but God is sovereign and he's in control. So we have this little snippet right in the middle of, of Jeremiah 33 where God's promises that he's not through with Israel and he's going to take care of them in time. Um, there may be more we can say, but We'll do that another day. Verse 19. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, Thus says the Lord, If you can break my covenant for the day and my covenant for the night so that day and night will not be at their appointed time, then my covenant may also be broken with David my servant so that he will not have a son to reign on his throne and the little Leviticus priests, my ministers. As host of heaven cannot be counted, and the sands of the sea cannot be measured, so I will multiply the descendants of David, my servant, and the Levites who ministered to me. This is the same analogy that he gave back in chapter 31, 21. He says, my word is so true and my covenant is so correct that if the sun and moon and the fixed order stop, well, then my covenant will stop. He's saying it again here in a different way. Verse 20, the Lord says, if I can break my covenant for the day and my covenant for the night so that day and night will not be at the appointed time, then what I have just said back in verse 17 and 18 won't come true either. But God is sovereign. The times of the season won't change. It's going to be there. There's one thing we can depend on. Night's going to come tonight and morning is going to come the next day. He says, if that goes away, then the covenant I made with Israel will go away. He's just reinforcing the same fact that I'm sovereign and what I say will happen. And so that's, that's what he's saying here. All right, let's continue reading verse 23. And the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, Have you not observed 
what his family, excuse me, what his people have spoken, saying, the two families which the Lord chose, he has rejected them. Thus they despise my people. No longer are they a nation in their sight. Thus says the Lord, if my covenant for day and night shall not, excuse me, if my covenant for day and night shall not, and the fixed patterns of heaven and earth I have not established, then I would reject the descendants of Jacob and David my servants, not taking from his descendants rulers over the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But I will restore their fortunes, and I will have mercy on them. It's redundant. He said it. <laughs> We've talked about that sometimes in here. How many times does God have to say something before it's true? One time. And if he says repeatedly, 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 it's going to be true. So God's going to deal with the Jews in his time, in his way, and that's that. That's that. So I'm going to leave end times to him. He's going to take care of it all. And uh, I won't be here unless the Lord comes between now and then, which is also a possibility, and we could say something about that sometime. Chapter 34. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord and when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon and all his army and all his kingdoms of the earth were under the dominion and all his prophets were fighting against Jerusalem and against his city. Verse 2. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Go up and speak to Zedekiah, king of Judah, and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am giving this city into the land uh, into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he will burn it with fire. You will not escape from his hand, for you will surely be captured and delivered into his hand, and you will see the king of Babylon eye to eye. He will speak to you face to face, and you will go to Babylon. This is about the fourth time that Jeremiah has said this to Zedekiah. The last time he said it was in chapter 32. In verse uh, 3 through 5, he, it's almost word for word. Um, I, I don't know, the man must be hard of hearing or something, you know, or, or just doesn't believe him. Because, because of that fact, because of what he preached here, that's when Zedekiah put him in prison. Uh, that's it. Verse 4. Yet hear the word of the Lord, O Zedekiah, king of Judah. Thus says the Lord concerning you, you will not die by the sword. You will die in peace. And as spices were burned for your fathers and former kings before you, they will burn spices for you. They will lament about you, for I, the Lord, have spoken it. Later on, we'll see that all of this came to be. Now, the king of Babylon did put his eyes out 
but he lived and uh, and he died as a king. Verse 6, when Jeremiah the prophet spoke the words to Zedekiah, king of Judah, Jerusalem, with the armies of the king of Babylon fighting against Jerusalem and against all the remaining cities, that is, Lachish, and I can't pronounce the other one, for they alone remained as fortified cities of Judah. They were building siege ramps there and outside of Jerusalem. And what what he's saying, he says, there's two more cities that are fortified, but it's just a matter of time. That's Bill's paraphrase. Verse 9. Each man should set free his male servant, and each man his female servant, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, so that no one shall keep them, a Jew his brother in bondage. And all the officials and all the people obeyed, uh, who had entered into the covenant, each man should be set free from his male servant and each man his female servant so that no one should uh, keep them any longer in bondage. They obeyed and set them free. But, verse 11, afterward they turned around and took back the male servants and the female servants who they had set free and bought, brought them into subjection for the male servants and for the female servants. We're going to skip down in just a minute and see where this covenant was started. But what happened here, the siege reps were there. They thought uh, it was imminent for the demise of Jerusalem. And he says, okay. King Zedekiah says, set, set your, your Hebrew servants free. Slaves free. Just let them free. And then there was a pause in the fighting. And said, hey, we want you back. <laughs> we want you to come back. But there was a principle that they had violated. And let's, let's look at that. Skip down to verse 17. Therefore, says the Lord, you have not obeyed me in proclaiming release each man to his brother and each man to his neighbor. Before I am proclaiming to release to you, declares the Lord, to the sword, to the pestilence, to the famine, and I will make you a terror of all the kingdoms of the earth. Verse 18. I will give the men who have transgressed my covenant, who have not fulfilled the words of the covenant, which I made before me when they cut the calf in two and passed between its parts. The officials of Judah and the officials of Jerusalem, the court officials, the priests, the people of the land who passed through the parts of the calf, I will give them into the hand of their enemies and the hand of those who seek their lives. <clears throat> what was happening? 1,350 years before, <laughs> Peter says the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. We see time and time again. When Joshua took the battle of Jericho and tore down the gates, Joshua said, whoever builds the gates of Jericho again, their firstborn will die. 450 years later, a guy built built the walls of the city of Jericho and what happened to his firstborn? He died. 
What God said is going to happen. What his word said is going to happen. In this particular case, he says, he says there is a Sabbath, seven years, seven, seven days. There's a Sabbath rest. Pastor Bobby's talking about that on Wednesday night in, in, the, in his session. But he says, he says at, you're supposed to release your Hebrew slave and servant. They didn't do it. And Jeremiah is bringing it back to mind. He says, you broke the covenant that God set 1,350 years ago. Back in, in Nehemiah's day, when we, he went back to build the wall there, they were taxing, no, they were, he was, the Jews were borrowing from other Jews and charging them interest. That's contrary to scripture, contrary to what God said. He said, don't charge your fellow man interest. They were. God said, you don't do it. And Nehemiah says, give it back to them and pay, pay back their money. God's principles don't change. They don't change, and that's where we are today, you know. Truth is what somebody else says. This is truth. This is the total truth. As is, it it kind of gets my goat, you know. Sometimes that Pastor Bobby brought it out Wednesday night when we were talking about in Genesis. He says, Scripture says he created male and female, and for years that was not a problem. <laughs> but now, the now. I'm glad God put it in there because now you know where I'm going. It's just, it's just a shame. Okay, verse 21. There's more we could say about God's covenant and go back to Genesis and, and Exodus and, and see that, but we won't. Verse, verse 21. What? The clock. That clock is wrong. Zedekiah, verse 21. Uh, Zedekiah, king of Judah and his officials, I will give into the hand of their enemy, into the hand of those who seek their life, to the hand of the army of the king of Babylon, which has gone from you. Behold, I'm going to command, declares the Lord, I will bring them back to this city, and they will fight against it, and they will take it, and they burn it with fire, and I will make the city of Judah a desolation without inhabitants. Same message he's been preaching. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take it away from you, but I'm gonna bring you back in time. Well, that brings us to chapter 35, and and Art will pick it up uh, next week, uh, and we'll go from there. Let me turn this off. <clears throat>